0: Took a peek downfield, had a lot of room, and breaks the tackle, and is still running. Lawrence, in a foot race, will they catch him? Touchdown Tigers! Wow! A game-changing play. You have landed at the High Motor Podcast, Andrew Doughty, Chase Kitty, talking, we're talking here on Saturday, the 29th, what should have been week zero. We were supposed to have Notre Dame Navy in Ireland. Earlier today, I think there were seven total week zero games before the cancellations. I know I feel like every episode we lead off with how many games were canceled, how many games were added to week zero. And at one point, I think it was seven games scheduled for week zero. We do have week one coming up this week, this episode dropping on Monday. So depending on when you're listening here, starting on Thursday, week one with a couple of games. I think there's actually three games on Thursday, I believe, continuing on to Saturday. It's not the typical... 70, 80, 90 games. I can't remember what number of games we typically have in week one, but it's not in that ballpark that we usually have. We do have 11 games coming next weekend, and then things pick up from there as we have some semblance of a college football season. I believe we're still sitting at 77 teams in for a fall season, if I have my numbers correct here. 53 teams out, 77 teams in. And we're doing predictions on this episode. This is a full predictions podcast. We have 15 different predictions here. Some of the more typical stuff that you'll see everywhere. We're going to start there and then get into some fun random ones. Before we do that, sir, let me ask you, where's your head at right now? I mean, we've talked about at length how we feel about this season, what we want from this season, what we need to have a real college football season. And you seem to be embracing the unconventional madness chaos that the season will probably bring us more so than I am because under normal circumstances, we were just talking about this before we hopped on under normal circumstances here. We're talking week zero today. I wouldn't even be able to concentrate because I'd be so fired up about week zero and looking ahead to week one when we have this typically massive schedule of games. We don't have that. Where is your head at with college football right now?
1: I'm excited. It's obviously different. And you, I think you feel that difference. I, I'm the same way as you. Like week zero, I, I wouldn't have even like just clear my calendar today. I'm not doing anything.
0: We wouldn't be talking today. We'd be talking tomorrow no, we morning. Would have, we talking would talking about talk weeks tomorrow, tomorrow
1: or yesterday. We wouldn't be doing this today. Right. No way. Right. But it is what it is. Like I'm, obvi- I'm gonna go watch Central Arkansas and Austin P. Even though it, it sounds like, I mean, you guys will probably know way more if you were dialed into this game by the time this episode drops. But it sounds like they're gonna be missing some players, maybe. Uh, and, and obviously, that's probably going to be sort of par for the course going forward this year. I'm excited, but it's it's definitely a, a more muted excitement where you know it's just a, it's just going to be different this year. It's just going to feel different. It's going to be a little off. It's still going to be football, but it's not going to be the same. So it's an excitement, but I think it's a muted one.
0: Yeah, I think I'm in that same ballpark, maybe a little bit less. Like, I don't have, I was taking a walk earlier today listening to a podcast. Under normal circumstances, the morning of week zero, all I would be thinking about on that walk was week zero and college football coming out, what games were happening over the next few weeks. I didn't really think about that. Like, I didn't have that feel. Obviously, when I'm reading about college football now, I'm still dialed into college football, but it's a time that... I'm away doing something else with the family or taking a walk or whatever when I'm typically thinking of college football constantly the entire month of August. I don't have that, and even though I'm appreciative that we have some college football, not having like that internal buzz, it kind of sucks, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it's and there have been days where I don't even know what to do with it, Like where, where I know I'm supposed to feel excited, but it's just not really there, and I can't tell how much of it is... Just everything that's going on, how much of it is just the daily, everybody arguing about everything all the time. And that kind of, if, if you're on social media enough, if you're around it enough, that kind of bleeds into your mindset and, and messes with your, your happiness, I think, a little bit. Uh, just all of the crap that's going on, seven months of quarantine, I, I just all this stuff. I don't know. I don't know how it breaks down and and how much is responsible for what percentage wise, but I think it's a combination of factors and I'm excited. Here's what I'm, I think, most excited about to sit back four or five hours from now when this Austin Peay Central Arkansas game is over and ask myself how I feel and if I feel any differently after I've actually gotten to watch a little bit of football.
0: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on your head there, and I wrote about this uh, a few weeks ago on com that I think a lot of us aren't comfortable with the college football season because we don't know how to evaluate it. We don't know how to approach this. It's almost like, I think the example I used in there, like going back to 1990 Colorado's fifth down game, they did not deserve the national championship that year. They won it. They're in the record books. They have the flyers and banners and all that crap. But they did not win the national championship that year because they had the benefit of the fifth down in the Missouri game. We don't really know how to talk about that because it altered history. And I don't think we know how to, we'll see what happens here, like you said, how you feel after the game. But as of right now, I don't think we understand how to talk about and how to evaluate college football this year. And that makes us extremely uncomfortable because I've said before, I think we've passed the threshold of having this be a real college football season. We're going to have 77 teams. We're going to have hundreds of games. It seems like we're going to have a full playoff. We're going to have dozens of bowl games. We're going to have all of the stuff that technically makes a college football season numbers-wise. But I think that we've crossed the line where this isn't a real college football season. Therefore, I don't I don't know how comfortable I am, even if... Alabama or Clemson or whoever were to have won the national championship under normal circumstances this season and that same team wins the national championship under bizarre circumstances this year I still don't know how I feel about it and I agree with people that have come out and said this is probably an asterisk season and it makes us really uncomfortable not to understand how to fairly evaluate something like that
1: yeah and that's without even acknowledging the idea that we might get four or five weeks into the season and then something completely weird happens there. We, you know, nobody's comfortable continuing the season or the cases spike or just something changes that we can't even think of. So that that's without even acknowledging that I I think I'm just going to have to see a couple weeks of it in September and see how I feel.
0: All right, let's do some predictions here. Like I said, we have 15, so we're going to burn through these pretty quickly. Each of us will give our prediction for each one. We're going to start with some of the basic stuff, divisional champs, conference champs, playoff stuff, and then get into some fun ones. We're not gonna spend a whole lot of time on each one. But let's get this fired up here. Staying, let's go to the SEC West champion. I have Alabama, they're number two in my national rankings. Uh, just uh, they were just behind Ohio State, or excuse me, just ahead of Ohio State, Ohio State not playing, they're behind Clemson. I have no concerns with a new quarterback there. Even without Ruggs and Judy, no concern with that offense under Steve Sarkeesian. Offensive line is loaded. Front seven on the defense is loaded. I'm going to go Bama for the SEC West. What do you got?
1: Uh, Same thing. Alabama. For me, it's about the schedule. The SEC, I think, is going to be really, really good this year. I think there's going to be a lot of teams. There's going to be a lot of tough games in there. And Alabama has the most favorable schedule, period. So, give me the schedule. Give me a nice offensive line, kind of back to... uh, more old-school saving teams from 8 or 10 years ago. Run the ball, control the clock, get out of
0: there with the win. Who do you have in the East? Florida. What did that come down to you between... So I have Georgia as the best team in the East, and I'll probably pick them over Florida when they play in Jacksonville. But I have to agree with you and pick Florida because of that schedule, as, yes. as you just know. They miss Auburn. They miss Alabama. Georgia has Bama. They also have LSU. So depending on what you think of – I know what you think of LSU this season, but depending on your listen, our listeners here, what you think of LSU versus Auburn this year, I think LSU is slightly better. But yeah, even with a win over Florida and Jacksonville, I'm going to take Florida to to win out elsewhere and win the East. So how did you balance that? Because I think Georgia is probably the better team. I like Georgia's talent more. I like Georgia's depth more. But I like how the schedule sets up. Even if Florida loses that game, I'm going to take the, the balance, um, tipping it in, in favor of Florida because of that schedule.
1: Uh, Yeah, absolutely everything you just said. I think Georgia's the better team. And we can maybe circle around to that here in a minute uh, on some additional thoughts on Georgia. But when you look at their schedule, they got to play Auburn, they got to play Alabama, they got to play Tennessee. They play all three of those games right in a row Auburn, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama. That's a tough go. And then you've got Florida uh, in Jacksonville in November. I mean, it's just, there's too many potential losses on the schedule for me to think that they have a mathematically advantageous path to the SEC East Championship.
0: I also think that South Carolina game last year, it, I, I still like Chris Mark quite a bit. I like him going into last year. I like him quite a bit going into this year. That South Carolina game, how ugly that game was, I think it kind of changed me. And I don't know if this is fair or not. It kind of changed me for, for Georgia. I'm not as confident that they I mean you you mentioned and we both mentioned all these games that they have to play and they're gonna be tough games I'm not that confident that they can avoid another stumble and I think we're gonna see a lot of things this year that we wouldn't normally see uh, with the circumstances of players sitting out players testing positive maybe players opting out but I think even under normal circumstances I've lost a little bit of trust and even though it was just one game I don't know that I'm that confident even saying that Georgia can avoid those type of uh, losses. What? What? Why are you a little bit higher, I guess, on Georgia than Florida on the field?
1: Uh, I think I probably like Kirby Smart maybe a little bit more than Dan Mullen. I think that might be a little bit part of it. I think part of it is and, and I think this is a bias that a lot of us have. We've seen it with Georgia, right? We've seen when it's right what they can do and how far they can go and how close they've come to a national championship. So I think part of it is I'm just willing to give them maybe a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. But I think both rosters have playmakers and have the potential in terms of talent on the roster to compete for a playoff berth this year. So I think I'm just more so leaning with Florida because I think they have an easier path. It's I do believe that Georgia is like a playoff caliber team.
0: Are you on the same page with me where – are you going to be picking Georgia over Florida in Jacksonville? Or do you think Florida wins that game, and then if they win that game, I think they kind of have the track with that schedule to winning the East. Who are you picking in that game right now, and how does that factor into your equation?
1: I mean, I don't I don't like picking a game in November and August. Right, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you made me pick it right now, I would probably lean toward Georgia. Yeah, I'd take them in the straight up.
0: Who do you have winning the SEC, then?
1: I kind of like... I kind of like Florida. Uh, I, I don't know that they're going to be better than Alabama and maybe this is a foolish choice. Maybe I should just go chalk. But this is just kind of a gut call. I, I don't know what else to say. I, I, think, I think Florida might be a little bit more tested. I think offensively they could be more dynamic this year. And maybe this would be a really stupid reason to pick them. But maybe I am subconsciously attracted to the idea that 10 years ago Alabama kind of got off to this start with this Alabama-Florida like sort of east-west friction. That's kind of where this all started. So maybe I am sort of romantically attracted to the idea of it ending there as well. And as the Alabama dynasty kind of gets ready to maybe come to a close, Florida can kind of uh, get a nice elbow in there at the end.
0: So I have Alabama strictly because I think they're the better team here, but I'm curious because of what you said – you think that Georgia is probably the better team than Florida, which I agree with you too. I think Alabama's above both of them. What do you think the gap is there between those three teams? How I mean, do you do you have it right now? Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and Florida is the third best team, even though you have a hunch to pick them to win the SEC championship. What is the gap between those three teams? Is it small for you? It seems like it is.
1: Yeah, they're all pretty close, and, and I, I don't want to give this away because I know we're going to get there eventually, but. I do think there's a case to make for all three of those teams to get into the playoff this year. Uh, even, I mean, yes, you could make the case clearly. I think Georgia wins the sec and goes to the playoff. Like that, that wouldn't be a crazy thing to say at all. I think there's a case to make for Georgia to not win the sec and go to the playoff. So I, I think there are some interesting uh, things that could unfold and the sec probably has a little bit more of a margin for error for two playoff teams given that we have a reduced number of power conferences playing this
0: year. Yeah, we'll get into more scenarios and picking our actual playoff fields here in a second, talk national championship, things like that. What would it take to get three SEC teams in there and watch people's heads kind of explode? Let's go to the Big 12 here, and I don't have a whole lot to talk about, even though I am high on Oklahoma State here. Uh Oklahoma has given me no reason to pick against them. I think they've been extremely flawed the last two years, but there's not enough trust in Oklahoma State. I just talked about that Georgia-South Carolina game. I don't have enough trust in Oklahoma State to avoid that type of game and also beat a better team in Oklahoma. So I am taking Oklahoma to win the Big 12 again this year.
1: Give me the Cowboys. I like the schedule. I think they are going to be really good and... I think to be fair to an argument that I just made a couple minutes ago, I think it's a lot easier to pick Oklahoma because we've seen them do it so many times already and we know what we're getting with sort of the machine that's in Norman right now. So you know that you're going against sort of the momentum of what this conference has been in the recent last couple of years. But I just think Oklahoma State, if they're going to do it, this is the year. They have the roster and they have the, the schedule that lines up so perfectly for them I think. I think when you go through each individual Big 12 contender schedule, nobody touches what Oklahoma State has. You can't tell me you're going to pick Texas. I know a bunch of people out there are probably going to pick Texas. On this podcast, if you're a regular listener, you know that we're not going in that direction. So, it's going to be one of the Oklahoma schools and I get why you pick Oklahoma. I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take Oklahoma State.
0: You know it's a weird pick for me because It's hard to balance what Oklahoma has done in the Big 12 over the last, I mean, really two decades, specifically under Lincoln Riley, versus how far they look to be behind the other elite teams in college football. And I know it's not fair to compare like Oklahoma to last year's LSU because nobody really compared to last year's LSU last year or in most recent years. So it's not fair to do that specifically, but I think it's always an interesting conversation when... We, we, we both understand that these last couple Oklahoma teams that have made the playoff, they had serious, serious flaws. We're on the same page with that, right?
1: Yeah, you can be really, really good. Because they're, they're kind of in an interesting spot in the college football landscape where they are clearly better, especially because of what they can do offensively and what they've been able to attract in the transfer market. They are clearly better than 98 to 99% of teams. But they're also markedly behind that top 1% because they just don't really have the defense. And it's a tired refrain. We get that. But it doesn't make it... Just because it's we're all tired of saying it and hearing it doesn't make it not true. And they just can't play defense on the level that Clemson and Alabama and Georgia can. And that has been their downfall. Not just in the broad sense, but in very specific instances. I mean, they... They played one of the greatest first halves I've ever seen in my life against Georgia, and they lost that game. So, what are you going to do? You got to be able to play defense at least on a slightly better level if you want to be in that topmost echelon.
0: Completely agree, and I think some of the the Big Twelve doesn't play defense stuff is wrong, is overblown, They're absolutely. Legitimately good defense. I mean, going into this year, I've talked about Iowa State's defense a little bit. Iowa State is going to have a really good defense. I think they'll probably have the best defense in the Big 12. I think with some of the other teams that are not playing this year, Iowa State could legitimately have a top 10 defense in the country. So I think a lot of it is overblown.
1: Kansas State, Baylor. Some of the stuff that Kansas has done is
0: is not... What TCU has done TCU. under Gary Patterson. There's been a couple yes.
1: of West Virginia teams that have had underrated defense. So, like, there is defense in this conference. I don't think a ton of it has been out of Norman.
0: But I also see the argument because of what Oklahoma has put on the national stage because they're the only team that has had the opportunity to do so. Maybe if the Big 12 were to have had a playoff contender that's not as good on offense like we've seen from Oklahoma the last few years and been better on defense, maybe that would have helped change the perception. But what because of what Oklahoma has put on the national stage, I don't care that much about the narrative. I just think it's wrong. I think that the Big 12 does play defense. Maybe as good as most other Power 5 conferences. Let's move on. This is stupid. We don't need to talk about Big 12 narrative on defense. (laughs) Let's go to the ACC. No divisions in the ACC this year. I have a very clear champion with Clemson. I think Louisville is a team to watch closely. We talked about them quite a bit on the ACC preview a few weeks back because of how their schedule sets up. I really like Louisville without divisions to truly compete with Notre Dame. I'm not going to pick Louisville over Notre Dame when they uh, meet in South Bend. I want to say that's the... Fourth game for Louisville, fourth or fifth game. I'm not going to pick them to win that game, but I really like Louisville without the divisions uh, to compete with Notre Dame for that other spot in the ACS championship. I still think the gap between Clemson and even with Notre Dame in the conference this year is too big. Very, very clear pick for me is Clemson.
1: Uh, I agree. Uh, I don't know how you pick anybody else. I get that Notre Dame's coming into the conference and they their preseason top 10 team. But you can't pick Notre Dame over Clemson. That's just stupid. So it's Clemson. Let's
0: get into the playoffs. So I, have, I do have Clemson, Alabama um, as Oklahoma Big 12 champions. I think that they'll be in there. And then for me, this is between Notre Dame and Florida. And I'm going to take Florida because I have Notre Dame losing to Clemson uh, by a noticeable margin, at least two or three touchdowns there. If you're high on like North Carolina this year, I don't think there's enough meat on that schedule, even if you are high on North Carolina, for Notre Dame to get in. So for me, it's Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma in that order. And then I'm going to take Florida as the four seed. How many SEC teams do you have in yours?
1: Uh, I've got two. So I I think Clemson and Alabama are probably going to be in there. I I think it would be weird if you would need something weird to happen for— both of them, or for either one of them to not be in there. Stumbled over my words there. But I, I think you would need something pretty weird to happen for Clemson and Alabama to miss out this year. Uh, I've got Oklahoma State in there. I don't feel great about it, but I did pick them to win b- the Big 12. So the natural, logical conclusion would be Oklahoma State is in the playoffs. Uh, and I guess we could pause here. How damning would it be for the Big 12 If the champion doesn't get into the playoff field when there's only three power conferences playing football, can you imagine highly
0: possible too?
1: Yeah. That's, that's That's, not a crazy scenario that can happen.
0: No. I mean, I just mentioned that. I think that Notre Dame could still get in. Let's say that I think Clemson's going to win the Notre Dame game by 14 to 20 points in there. I think so. But I could absolutely see Clemson winning that game by a touchdown, which I think will go over very well for a committee that has looked favorably upon Clemson, even when they have started the season with a weak schedule. So I could see the ACC getting two teams in, and then obviously we can see the SEC getting two teams in. So let's say that Oklahoma State and Oklahoma split the games they play, and then maybe one of them also stumbles in the regular season. You could easily, even with the shortened schedule, even with Pac-12 being out, even with the Big Ten being out, I could absolutely see a two loss, maybe even a one loss big 12 champion getting left out absolutely yeah can you imagine the blowback on that
1: that would i mean it would probably haunt the conference for i think it would honestly change the way the conference is viewed going forward for the next five to ten years i don't think that's crazy to say when you get the other conferences back involved in the post-virus world i mean that is going to be a massive shadow if it were to happen that would loom over the Big 12, I think, for years to come. Every single time the Big 12 champion gets left out going forward, it would get tied back to that moment this year. So I think that's a huge uh, thing to watch for if you are a Big 12 conference fan, if you follow this conference. Let's go to my fourth playoff team because I agonized over this because of the way the schedule works this year in the SEC. It is entirely possible that a team like Georgia... Could not play in the SEC Championship, but it could have head-to-head wins over both the teams playing in the SEC Championship. Okay, if that happens, I have no idea what happens with the fourth playoff spot. I mean, that Does would it, be wild.
0: I think that it would come down to how did that SEC Championship look. If that's a, if that's a close game, I don't think Florida's getting in either over those two teams. But let's say they. I don't know. Do they beat Florida in the regular season or not? Because I think that matters a lot here.
1: I think they do. Let's say they do.
0: So let's say they do, and let's say they... But then you have to give... So what, we have to give Florida... Let's say well, Florida
1: you, is a one-loss team, SEC East champion.
0: And then Georgia has two losses. But Georgia is a
1: two-loss non-champion. They lost to, let's say, Auburn, and then let's say your South Carolina thing happens.
0: I think they're out then. I think if South Carolina, I'm not that high on South Carolina, so I think that's, that's a good a pretty, point. If they lose to pretty, South
1: Carolina, it would be, that's it would be tough to come game. back from that. Let's say yeah, they I lost think, to a better team.
0: I think that the easier scenario would be if you had two one loss teams coming out of the East, presumably Florida and Georgia, um, and then you know whoever gets the the tiebreaker there, whoever won the regular season game, and then you have a close uh, SEC championship game, or I, I could see it either way. I could see a close SEC championship game. And the loser of Florida Georgia is still getting in over the s or the the East champion, or I could see a blowout and the same thing happening. I could see three teams getting in, and then you take Clemson unless you're just that high on Notre Dame. And if we have a two loss Big Twelve champion, that's then a the very very is real. Florida sc- Georgia Alabama and Clemson. Yeah, it's a very real scenario. I'm running through this again in my head. It's a very real scenario that you could have only two conferences. Represented. I know we can talk about G5 a little bit. I don't think this, we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. If there was a year, this is probably the year for the G5 to do it. I'm just not confident with that schedule. I think that one of those G5 teams needed a legitimate power five game and they just don't have that. I don't think that Cincinnati going down to UCF and winning, even if they clobber them, I don't think that would be enough even under this scenario. I think there's a path for Cincinnati, but they need quite a bit of mayhem. I mean, I'm running through this in my head again, we could have a two-loss Big 12 champion, but the problem there is I don't think that could be the case. I think that team would get in over the non-divisional SEC champion. So I don't think you could have that and then three teams from get in from the SEC because I think the Big 12 champion will get in over the non-divisional SEC champion and then the ACC. So in that scenario, you would still have Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, the two teams from the SEC, and the uh, Clemson, presumably from the ACC.
1: It's all kind of wild, yeah. Georgia, the thing about Georgia, to circle back to them, I mean, listen to the games they play. Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama, Kentucky, Florida, all right in a row. That's all in a row, okay? So it's not unreasonable to think that they could be a two-loss team that still has more like top twenty-five, top twenty wins than a Big Twelve champion or an ACC champion or an ACC non-champion or, or whatever you want to call it, right? Because I, I think we all know nobody's getting in from the SEC as a non-champion over Clemson. That's not going to happen. But I, it's just there's so much, there's so many things and permutations of how this could go where you could get one or two or three SEC teams in here. So I think 3 is pretty unlikely, but it's not impossible based on what happens in the Big 12 and and how much weird stuff happens. So I I think I had to I couldn't go full nut job here and and not put Alabama and Florida in because Alabama and Florida were the two teams that I picked to go into the SEC Championship game and because I picked Florida, I kind of hemmed myself in to which four I was going to pick. But the more research I was doing on how the playoff stuff could unfold, this SEC stuff could get really messy. And it could get even messier quick when you consider what Auburn can do playing in the SEC West. They obviously have the the Iron Bowl game and then they get to play Georgia uh across in the in the cross east west stuff. So Auburn could make this really messy too. I don't think we we're viewing them sort of in the same light as these other three schools, but they are probably going to be a top 10, top 15 type of team. They'll probably do the same thing that Auburn's done a lot this last decade, which is we know how good of a team they are, but they're like a three loss team, even though they're still ranked 11th, you know? So they could be the ones that really mess stuff up for somebody like kind of happened last year. Uh, They could be in the mix. We just don't know it. It's going to be a really good SEC this year and you know it could kind of fall one of several different ways.
0: Moving on to the national championship, this is a borderline coin flip for me. I have a hard time seeing the the real argument for anyone but Clemson or Alabama winning the title this year. I do think it'll be them in the semifinals being the one in the two seeds winning those games. Right now I see Clemson as the better team by a slim margin, so I will take Clemson to win it all this year.
1: I will too because more than any of these other teams, I know what I have with Clemson this year. I know what I'm getting with Trevor Lawrence. I know they're gonna probably be there at the end. And other, I, I trust in them the most. And in a year that's gonna be just extra all kinds of weird, give me the thing that I trust the most at the beginning.
0: Let's move on to G5 New Year's 6. And I don't know if we're going to talk about this that much because we just did the G5 preview episode about a week ago here. I think it's Cincinnati. I made that very clear. I think they're the best G5 team, even though I prefer UCF's schedule. They get Cincinnati at home. I'm talking about UCF here. They get Cincinnati at home. They do visit Memphis, whereas Cincinnati gets them at home. We'll see how much home and away actually means this year. Cincinnati also goes to SMU, whereas UCF misses SMU completely. I don't think that scheduling gap is enough to make up for the on the field gap as I see it. So I'm going to take Cincinnati and the New York six from the G five.
1: I'm also taking Cincinnati. I don't know how you make a case for anybody other than Cincinnati or UCF. Uh, you're right to point out the scheduling thing. Uh, I'm curious to see how the army game that Cincinnati still looks to have on the schedule right now. Uh, I'm curious how that shakes out and, and if that impacts their ability to make an extra move, or if they lose that game, does that give UCF an edge? Uh, I I think Cincinnati's the move because I think they're the best team. So...
0: All right, let's move into some random stuff here. We're going to talk uh, Heisman Trophy, not Heisman Trophy winner. Let's pull a dark horse. Trevor Lawrence is the heavy, heavy favorite. I mean, I just pull up the odds again here, plus 200, yeah. odds Basically shark.
1: even money in, in a lot I, of
0: places, I don't know so. if I can remember a Heisman candidate that was that high now that you have taken Justin Fields out of the equation. I'm sure we could find something historically, but that is extremely high. Like you said, almost even money. Spencer Rattler, not right behind him, but he is behind him, plus 900. And then you kind of get into a whole mess of dr King, Miles Brennan, Sam Ellinger, uh, Jamie Newman, Mac Jones, Chua Hubbard, Ian Book, a whole bunch of those guys. But we're going to pull uh, a dark horse from these lists, or maybe you want to grab it from even farther down somewhere. Who do you think could come up and actually contend for? I don't want to say win the Heisman here. but Who do you think could come up and actually contend for a Heisman finalist spot that not many people are talking about seriously?
1: Well, I think Ian Book is an interesting choice. I think he's worth mentioning, but I actually went a little bit farther down the list. I have two names here, one of which is Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State. Uh, I think just we, we know what the Heisman looks like right now. It is a quarterback that is relatively unexpected coming into the year and puts up big numbers and wins big games they shine in big moments they capture the spotlight and they don't lose too much you can lose a couple of games and still win the Heisman but you're generally going to be a quarterback on a good team so for me that's Spencer Sanders excuse me Spencer Sanders and that's Kellen Mond I think those two guys are two names to watch They're probably not going to win the national championship, but they're also going to be in some high profile games. We know what it looks like. There is precedent for a Texas A&M quarterback to win the Heisman. So that's the, those are the two guys that I want to look at at potentially making a move.
0: Yeah, I have Sanders too. And I don't think this is like a deep, deep, deep dark horse, but I think it's still dark horse enough. um, As kind of all our attention on the big 12 is on Spencer Rattler. I have some, Volume concerns for Sanders. I think they'll probably give him more keys to the offense this year as opposed to last year as a freshman. I'd like to see him avoid those. I mean, last year he had several games where he only attempted 12, 15, 18 passes. I think he needs to bump up the volume a little bit. I think it's going to be both hard and also an asset to have Hubbard uh, in the national spotlight. I think some of that might get pushed onto Sanders if he has a big game and Hubbard maybe only goes for 80 or 90 yards. But I still think it's going to be hard to bump Hubbard out of that spotlight, but that is why Sanders is a dark horse here and not among those five or 10 front runners. We're going to briefly talk about hot seat, and we have no idea what the hot seat is going to look like this year. You said, I think a week ago, that you wouldn't be surprised if zero coaches got fired this year. Uh, I think you were talking about specifically G5, but as we were going through our P5 conference previews, it was really hard to pick out clear coaches that could be On the hot seat in a normal year, and this is definitely not a normal year. We don't know how universities are going to respond to their financial crisis. But I still want to ask you here, one coach that you're most confident will be fired after this year.
1: Yeah, this was tough, and I had to do a lot of research to find somebody I was pretty confident on. How about Doug Martin at New Mexico State? That's where I went.
0: Yeah, I think I'm kind of in the same boat with it. I looked at Martin. First of all, I think Steve Adazio, I'm probably the most confident, will get fired, but I don't think that that's kind of a because, different conversation. Yeah, I mean yeah. that's that's an off the field conversation. And if these things that are coming out are true, he will be fired. We still don't know what is true and what is not true. But I think that's the one I'm most confident with. I went down the same road you did and looked at a really, really hard place to win. I think New Mexico State is maybe the hardest job in the country. Not much above that, I think, is UTEP. Dana Dymel, two two wins, two years. I get that it's UTEP, just like New Mexico State, but it's looking like, for him, three to four total wins in three years, if things even go well. I mean, UTEP could go winless this year. They could win one game this year. So you're looking at between two and four total wins, financial crisis or not. I think that's kind of hard to justify to your donors. Six-figure buyout, reasonable, even in this environment, you would think. I'd be a little bit more confident if UTEP had new leadership recently and they wanted their own guy. That's why I'm not that confident this would happen. Uh, Jim Center, though, AD, he hired Dimel right after he was hired at UTEP, so that might mean like an extra year for Dimel, especially still with that buyout not being nothing. Uh, they might want to avoid, I think it's $750,000, $700,000, somewhere in there. I'm fine with saying Doug Martin, too. Um, I like the guy personally. I think he's a great guy, and I hope that he does well at New Mexico State, it's a brutally hard job, and I have a hard time seeing New Mexico State saying, we're going to pay his buyout, I don't have a pull-up right in front of me, and then also hire a better coach. I don't know who New Mexico State hires, that's why I'm not as confident, I think UTEP's a little bit of a better job. I mean, who does, who does New Mexico State go after? Like, a, an FCA, like a lower-level FCS coach? I don't know who... New Mexico state could possibly hire where they can wake up the next day and say, we feel that much better about this guy than we did Doug Martin. I can't think of anybody for that.
1: I have zero names. Now I'm admittedly less good at the coaching stuff than you are. Uh, that is, that's never been my forte, but I, I don't know. I mean, maybe you go completely out of the box. Maybe you try to pull uh, some sort of coordinator from SCS school or maybe you like uh, more of a retread, like somebody who's toward the end of their coaching line and you give them uh, a nice meaty contract that you might not give other people to sort of entice them to come to a place where they're probably not going to win a whole lot. I don't know. Uh, That's a tough job to hire for, as you said.
0: Yeah, maybe you hit it. Maybe it is a transition type of hire where you hire somebody, you know, in their mid to late 60s, early 70s, somebody that's going to be there for two or three years, They can find the coach and waiting the coordinator. You don't have to pay the buyout to whoever you're hiring. That's at the tail end of their career. Maybe that's the direction they go. But yeah, I mean, brutally hard job in Las Cruces, a brutally hard job in El Paso. It's really hard. Normally going into a year, we can probably pluck out a dozen guys where you think are probably on their last breath. And it's very, very difficult uh, this year. Let's talk about uh, September here. Biggest early season overreaction. I'm going to. I don't want to say I'm copying out of this, but I have more of a a general thought here in that I think people are going to treat the results that we see all year, especially early in the season, the same this year as versus a normal year. I mean, this is not a normal year. This is not a normal circumstance. I think everybody gets that, but I still I think if a team starts like one and four or zero oh and three especially with fewer teams that the spotlight is on. When you're wiping out 40% of Power 5 conferences, you're wiping out Boise State, you're wiping out a lot of teams that people pay a lot of attention to. I think if a team starts 0-3 or 1-4, the spotlight's going to be on them a little bit more, even though I don't know if that's fair. I think we're going to see tons and tons of hot seat conversations, which I'm all for. I love the reckless reckless speculation for coaches, but I feel like this year I'm going to be giving out more benefit of the doubt than I normally would. So, my overreaction for the early seasons, I don't think that when people react to a one in three or a one in four start, I don't know if that's going to be fair to coaches and fair to programs.
1: Yeah, that's a great call by you. It's something we talked a little bit about uh, a few episodes ago. Those easy wins are not. There they're not as many of them baked into the September schedule for most teams this year. So you might have like the the 60th best team who is a, a very much a middle-of-the-road sort of bottom half of their conference in a P5 conference type of team. They're four and two in the middle of October because they beat up on crappy teams in September in their non-conference schedule. They're not gonna have those those three extra wins. So instead of being four and two. They're one and two. And all of a sudden, people in the media, fans are going, What is going on with our team this year? Why do we have such a bad record? So that's a great call by you.
0: Well, you can see it too, where it's like, this is their first one and four start since 1978. I, I just that that wipe out everything this year. Wipe out the top I mean, none of this historical stuff matters. I mean, you have all these records like they have five straight ten-win seasons. Well, they're only playing ten games this year, therefore that shouldn't matter. Or they've appeared in the they had, this is their first appearance in the AP Top 25. Well, you have 53 teams out of contention for the AP Top 20. Like those things just don't matter this year. I wish we would wipe it out, but we're not going to. It's all going to go in the record books the same, and I don't think that's fair to anybody.
1: I agree. I went for some more specific uh, examples. So, like, I was looking at, for example, I looked at Notre Dame's early schedule, and Notre Dame, who is already marked as sort of this top 10, top 12 type of team. They're going to open the season with games against Duke and South Florida. So I imagine that Notre Dame is probably going to be going into October undefeated. And you can imagine right now, like the segments on College Football Live or whatever about, well, you know, the ACC a lot tougher this year with the addition of Notre Dame still undefeated, like that kind of thing that's absolutely going to be happening that there's it's just a mortal lock that that conversation is going to happen about a month from now another one I wrote down uh, so we something we've talked about on this podcast before especially me we just love a reigning national champion even if they're clearly not as good as they were last year just with the Toronto Raptors in the NBA right now Toronto's had a nice little run and they are, I think, better than everybody thought they were going to be since Kawhi Leonard left. But you can't tell me they're, like, one of the best two or three teams in the NBA this year. But they're the reigning champs. So you got to Well, gotta it's like the one them. guy that
0: voted LSU first in the AP poll. Right, because you got to vote know first till they lose. Yeah, I'm not, like, I can't say this with 100% certainty. But I bet that guy or girl voted for, that, uh, for LSU as a first team because they were the reigning national champions. Right. Like, If you believe LSU is a top team in college football this year, fine. I don't think they are. I don't think there's an argument for it. But if you want to argue that, go for it. But I have a really, really strong inclination that you voted them number one because they had the best team in college football history. Totally know where you're coming from. Let's stay in September and ask a... I almost didn't include this one on here because of how the schedule is setting up with conference-only schedules starting earlier than we usually get or probably have more evenly matched games. We just don't have as many games. We don't have the volume for that. That being said, what is your biggest September upset this year?
1: Definitely had to do a lot of research for this because the games just aren't really there. There's not a ton of compelling potential upsets. I think there's going to be a lot of bad football games, especially early in September with the games that we do have. But I regret to inform you, Andrew Dowdy, that the game I have selected as my biggest September upset here, Coastal Carolina over your Kansas Jayhawks.
0: Is it an upset, though? It happened last year. Do you think
1: Coastal Carolina is going to be favored to win in Lawrence? No,
0: but I think this game was supposed to be played in South Carolina. I think that they might have been favored or KU might have been a very, very slight favor in that game. I think that Kansas is a better team, but they were the better team last year, and they still lost this game. I think it would be a minor upset, huge upset after last year. I don't know. Clearly, that wasn't the KU team that we saw the rest of the year, but I don't know if I'm going to... You know what? Let's actually talk about a real upset here. I got a few for you. (laughs) You just talked about Auburn. I'm going to take Kentucky over Auburn in week four. Whoa. Also, I have UAB over Miami. Is that an upset for you?
1: Uh, I think it's an upset for sure. I looked at taking UAB over Miami. I couldn't pull the trigger on it. I feel like it'll be a close game. I still think Miami wins that game. Even though I think UAB is kind of a, you know, they're they're scrappy. I think they're going to be a live dog for sure.
0: I think if UAB wins that game, it's not a massive, massive upset, but I think it will be perceived as a huge upset, even though somehow people still don't grasp how good UAB has been the last couple of years. I think it'll be like... A minor upset. I think that Miami will probably be what seven to ten point favorite. So it's a significant upset, but I don't think it would be as big as people think it would be, right?
1: Yeah, I see Miami being like a some I don't know if they'll be six and a half or nine and a half, but I think it'll be one of those two numbers, and I think books are gonna be begging you to take Miami.
0: So I'm gonna take UAB in that game. I'm Me gonna too. take Kentucky over Auburn in week four. I just don't trust Auburn. I still don't know what to make of the, of the Bama win from last year. I think Bo Nix did enough to show that they have a future long-term starter, a quarterback. I don't know if he was as good as widely thought. So I think that Kentucky wins that one. So I have UAB over Miami, Kentucky over Auburn. I've been going back and forth on this third one quite a bit the last few weeks. I'm going to pull the trigger on it and say Louisiana beats Iowa State. And Billy Napier turned some major heads where... I don't know if there's going to be an opening for him this year. He was rumored to be in contention for that Baylor job last year. But I think Louisiana does win in Ames. And I think that Louisiana has a great year this year. They have a great year next year. And Billy Napier lands a bigger job than a Sunbelt coach usually lands. So I'm going to take Louisiana over Iowa State. Let's Hang talk.
1: On. Hang on. No no, 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 please, Before we go on to the next
0: category, please.
1: All of the Iowa State cheerleading you have done the last six months. That's why it's
0: called Biggest Upset. You're gonna take biggest. Iowa
1: State to lose that game.
0: Let me ask you something. A team that you love going into a season, are they ever upset during the season? Sure. But right.
1: Louisiana though?
0: Yep, that's why it, I said good G five team. Don't get me wrong. Great G5 team. They're a fringe top 25 team in a year like this where we don't have as many teams. Sure. They might contend for the top 25 in a normal year.
1: But you have Iowa State as your Big 12 dark horse to win the conference. Yep. Okay.
0: Things happen. Think, sure. Weird things are going to happen this year that I don't think we can predict. I'm not saying, like, Iowa State's not good or they're not the better team. Sure, sometimes all
1: you're the better team and you lose. That happens.
0: Totally. Right. I think that UAB is almost as good of a team as Miami. I think that Kentucky is almost as good of a team as Auburn. Those will be upsets. This would be the biggest one. I think this one would turn heads.
1: Okay, next, uh, next category.
0: Let's keep Iowa State in this, and I'm going to ask you the most likely team to win nine regular season games. Iowa State, I guess we'll keep Kentucky in this too. Iowa State, Kentucky, or Louisville? Who do you got?
1: I think there is an objective right answer to this question. Me too. It's Louisville.
0: It is Louisville. You miss Clemson. They they get Notre Dame, like I said before. You get Virginia Tech. Yeah, that's going to be tough, too. You miss North Carolina if you are high on North Carolina. But I've been thinking about this one. I don't know what Louisville's win total is right now. But if you're putting a gun to my head and saying eight and a half on Louisville regular season wins, I'm going to think really, really hard about taking the over on that.
1: Yeah, no, that's fair. I mean, I think there's a lot of wins baked into an ACC schedule. They dodge Clemson, like you say. So... Sure. I'd be, uh, now that you say that, I am curious what their win total would be. Why, uh, what would be the case for Kentucky or Iowa State if you had to make it?
0: I think that they're both better teams than Louisville. I think that's as simple as you can put it. They're better teams than Louisville in the case of, I think Iowa State's the best team out of those three. And then Kentucky, well, Kentucky and Louisville are probably in the same ballpark. I don't want to split hairs here. I think those teams are arguably better than Louisville, especially in the case of Iowa State. But I don't like what we've seen from the Big 12 over the last five years, really. They have a lot of teams that are, they're, you know, we have Oklahoma at the top, and then two through six, two through seven even, shit, two through eight maybe in the Big 12, are capable of beating any other team in the conference every single week. I don't trust that Iowa State can navigate that. I I can't see three losses on Louisville's schedule. And even if they have three losses and they go eight and three, I'm not more confident that Kentucky or Iowa State is going to win nine regular season games. This The schedule is 100% the argument here, and it is Louisville.
1: Uh, I don't know if this is updated, but what I'm looking at right now, I think if it's an updated win total, it's seven
0: for Louisville. They're not going six and five. <laughs> I don't think so either. So you're going to pound that hard tonight. Mm. It would seem. Mm. Let's finish this up. We got two more here. Which coach can be an assistant or a head coach explodes onto the national radar this year?
1: Full disclosure. I am a Mike Houston guy. I like Mike Houston. I know Mike Houston a little bit. I've interviewed him several times. So I have a relationship with the man. You know, we're not best friends or anything. I'm not trying to say that, but he, he's not like an unknown that I plucked out of my research. I know the guy. So I think Mike Houston is, is the name here. ECU. I think they're going to take a step forward. They, they were dreadful for several years now. They were better. I thought he turned them around last year to be a halfway, okay, sort of bad team. Like they 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 pulled some wins last year that I don't think you thought they were gonna get.
0: Well, Nick just competed against some teams that they should not have been competing against under Absolutely. normal circumstances.
1: So year two, I think they they're gonna take some more steps. I trust in in weird times like this because I know him because I know his style. I know he is gonna have them working through the bullshit. Like I trust that completely. And then there's this. East Carolina doesn't play their first game until September 26th. Lots of time. Guess who they open their first game against? UCF. They don't even have to win that game to make a splash. If UCF gets out of there with like a 6-point win where it's it's a competitive game deep into the fourth quarter, that's kind of all he needs. You get that first big splashy game. And if they win that game, I mean, forget about it. It's just going to be Mike Houston watched for the entire rest of the year. So I think because of the way the schedule falls that I am really talking a lot about schedules this episode, but I think because of the way the schedule falls, because it's year two with him, I, I think a lot of people are going to know his name at the end of this year.
0: A lot of what you just said applies to the coach that I'm going to say, do you know who it is?
1: I have a guess. Who is it? Will Healy. Yep, that's what I thought.
0: (laughs) Literally almost every— I mean, Mike Houston was the bigger FCS name because of what he did at JMU. Yeah. And Will Healy, nobody even knew— God, even on the FCS level, nobody even knew this guy like three years ago. Correct. So that doesn't necessarily apply, but everything else applies here. I mean, like what you just said about ECU playing UCF, they don't need to win that game. Will Healy and Charlotte open up against App State on the Road Mm -hmm. and at North Carolina— Two early-ish games. So they don't they don't play in week one, but they play in week two and three. So they'll have those two early games where a lot of other teams, like you said, ECU wouldn't have started yet, or they might have played one game. I think there's a very good chance they win in Boone, and I think there's a very good chance they compete against North, against North Carolina. Again, they don't have to win either of those games. If they do, obviously, Will Healy stock is going to be going through the fucking roof. But if they can go into Chapel Hill and lose that game by 10 points, and then after that... Nothing on this schedule scares me, even with the Duke team that I'm really, really down on this year. Georgia State, FAU, North Texas, FIU, UTEP, Duke, Middle Tennessee, Marshall, Western Kentucky. Where are the losses there? Yeah, they've
1: got the potential for a nice record and some marquee wins. That's a good pull.
0: Yep, and I think even after Will Healy got a pretty good amount of attention for a Charlotte head coach last year, I think this year is when it really explodes. I think the real answer here is probably Billy Napier because if I'm picking them to win – at Iowa State, I think, like I said, Billy Napier's stock just just skyrockets. And after next year, maybe he does get one of those big-time jobs. But I think that Will Healy is probably a deeper pull. And I think that it, it's really hard to see Charlotte not winning seven, eight, nine, ten 10 games this year and hopefully competing against App State uh, or North Carolina. Last question we have. We kind of already talked about playoff quite a bit here. How many teams will enter the playoff undefeated? How many teams do you think it's going to be?
1: Two feels like the right answer to me.
0: I don't. It feels like an easy answer. That's not even fun, right?
1: Yeah, it, it feels. That's that's a, probably a better way to put it. It feels like the easy answer because
0: you're taking Clemson and the SEC champion.
1: I don't even know that I whittled it down to this is who I think it's going to be. But I if just you said, if I told like you that two, the right
0: if I told you that two teams are going to undefeated, you're saying Clemson and SEC champion, right? Sure. Yeah. I think it's three. I Whoa. think that Oklahoma. Excuse me. I think that Oklahoma goes undefeated. And I think Clemson goes undefeated. And I think Alabama goes undefeated. Obviously, I'm the least confident about Oklahoma there. Yeah. I'm the most confident about Clemson and Alabama. I'm not mm-hmm. even like that high on Oklahoma. In a normal year, I think Kinda that they're... seems like you are. I'm. I'm not though. I'm not. I think if I had a normal year with Alex Grinch and that defense, I'd feel a little bit better. But after another underwhelming year from that defense. I would have liked a full off season for him to get those new guys in there and reload a little bit to actually have a competent unit this year. I don't see it. But you, I also, what do you think
1: about Spencer Rattler being like the homegrown guy that steps into the role versus the way that they, they've managed quarterback the last couple years?
0: Going back to what you said at the very start of this show, I don't know how I feel about it because I mean Spencer Rattler has attempted like. 14 career passes or something. Like, we don't know anything. He's at the he's at number two on Heisman lists because of what Lincoln Riley has done. I have no doubt that Spencer Rattler is probably going to put up big-time numbers. He's probably going to throw for 3,500 to 4,000 yards this year. No doubt about that at all. But I actually want to see him beyond garbage time. And I think, yeah, I think it's like 11 or 14 career passes. I don't know how I feel about that. I have no doubt that he's going to be good at some point. I don't know... If the bar is too unfair for him because of what his predecessors have done, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how to feel about. It. Where are you with him?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm probably a little lower just because I want to see it, and, and I, you know, I love Lincoln Riley, and obviously he's going to put him in a position to be really, really successful. But I do think it's going to be a little different this year than having a totally established guy who we already know is good come in and then have jet fuel poured on their game like we know Lincoln-Riley can do. So I think it is going to be a little different. I think maybe you will have more growing pains uh, than, than you might earlier. And, and I'm curious to see how they look in some of those early conference games. Uh, but I, I think I would take one as the answer for this question before I would take three.
0: So if the over-under is one and a half, you're taking under.
1: Well, no, I'm, I'm taking the over because my actual answer for this question was two. But I'm Why saying you if you say force me to go one or three, I think I'd say one. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So if it was at two, you I mean, you wouldn't take the bet, obviously. But you'd probably take I would under. Take,
1: I would think I would take the under because I still have the push on the table.
0: Just because you're not as confident in Oklahoma. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm a little Oklahoma less State. confident
1: in Oklahoma. And I think history says the Big 12 beats up on each other. So I, th- I think it's entirely likely that you have a one loss or maybe even a two loss big 12 champion
0: really quickly before we go here do you think any g5 team goes undefeated regular season and conference championship yes is it cincinnati it could be or is it app state i think app state has just as
1: good a chance as anybody all
0: right that was fun we're gonna be back on monday after week one uh we'll do some a little bit of recap. Eleven games. We're not going to get into too much there. Maybe talk a little bit, little bit about BYU Navy. I guess that's the only really notable one. Week one, and then we'll get into some odd stuff uh, for week two. Chase will do some breakdowns with that. If you have any questions for week one odds, uh, starting on Thursday, and then again on Saturday, at Chase A Kitty on Twitter. I'm at Ian eighty eight. The podcast is at High Motor Pod. Thanks for checking out the High Motor Podcast. I
1: saw a friend today. It had been a while.
0: And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter, cause deep inside, the feeling still remained the same. We talked of
1: knowing one before you've met, and how you feel more than you see, and other worlds that lie in spaces. In